Good afternoon, folks. We're delighted that you're able to join us at our open-air witness live from Partick in the West End of Glasgow. We're a local congregation, a local Christian congregation, and we meet at 2 Thornwood Terrace, Upton Barton Road. You'll come to, to the police station, and opposite the police station, go up the hill there, and you will first of all come to Thornwood Primary School, and then you will meet ourselves, our building at 2 Thornwood Terrace, Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing. Come along to our services any Lord's Day, that Sunday at 11 a.m., or in the early evening at 6 p.m. And we also have a, a midweek meeting on Wednesday at 7.30. And you would be made most welcome to all of these services where you might hear something more about uh, the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the very sum and substance of Christianity. And indeed, there is no Christianity without Christ. And we seek to come out on the street on this uh, Saturday afternoon. And we're delighted with the ideal weather that we have for our purpose. And we do pray that you would accept uh, a gospel tract as someone hands it to you. And that you might stop and listen and hear something that might truly benefit your soul. As we said earlier, we seek to bring to your attention uh, the person and the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a pleasure and a privilege to be able to do so, because we recognize that Christ is no ordinary individual. What do you think of Christ? Well, the Bible tells us that he is the only begotten Son of God. And He's the one who has come down from heaven. And you may well ask yourself, why has He come down from heaven? Why indeed has He left heaven? Why did He leave heaven? Why did He leave that glorious place where He had wonderful uh, communion and fellowship with His Father and with the Holy Spirit? and where everything was absolutely perfect. And you may well wonder then, why did he come down to this earth uh, some 2,000 years ago? Well, he came down on a mercy mission. He came down with a purpose. And well, you might ask me, what is that purpose? Well, he tells us himself, for the Son of Man, that's him, Christ Jesus, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And I suppose there are a number of things that we could say from that text that we find in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Read it in your Bibles yourself. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And therefore, the Bible tells us that by nature, we are lost. What does that mean? Well, in the beginning, when God made man and woman, when He created Adam from the dust, and when He created Eve from Adam, they were perfect. They were perfect. They were holy and upright. They were made in the image of God. And for the time that they remained perfect, they enjoyed a wonderful, good, great relationship with their Creator. But you will be aware of the, what happened in Genesis chapter 3. It's recorded for us there that Eve was tempted and she disobeyed. And so did Adam. They disobeyed a clear and simple command that God had given to them. And ever since that moment, that moment that they listened to the tempter and disobeyed God, sin entered into this world. 
sin entered into human existence and experience. And from that moment on, Adam and Eve were spiritually dead. What does that mean? Well, it means they did not have the relationship that they once had with their Creator. It was lost. It was ruined. It was destroyed. And because we've all come from Adam and Eve, they are our first parents, and we've all come from them, therefore, we have experienced this lostness. I know what's going on. I don't know why. I'm going to change this battery, I think. I think it's gone a bit flat. Oh, it seems working. don't know. It did go off. Anyway. <coughs> Ever since that time, they were spiritually dead. The relationship that they had with their Creator was severed. And because we have come from them, Therefore, the moment that we are conceived and the moment that we're born, we are estranged from God. We are separated. And that's what the Bible calls lost. But the Lord Jesus Christ has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's why he has come on a mercy mission. And in order to rescue the lost, there was something that he had to do. He had to pay the price of mankind's sin. And in order to do that, he had to become a man. And that's what happened. He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by a miraculous operation of God the Holy Spirit. Such an operation and a miracle that none of us can possibly explain. But nevertheless, it's true. And the very fact that he lived a sinless life demonstrated that he did not inherit original sin. And he's the only one that ever lived a perfect life, never sinning in thought or in word or in deed. And he lived a perfect life. And then ultimately in Calvary's tree, you may well be aware of the gospel story that Christ suffered and died on a tree. Well, there he was offering up a perfect sacrifice to satisfy the just demands of God. And therefore we are to recognize that Jesus did two things for us. He fulfilled the law of God, perfectly keeping it, and he also fulfilled the penalty incurred by those who had broken God's law. Now here, indeed, is the marvel, and here is the wonder of the gospel story. Because the Bible tells us, if we will but believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, our sins shall be forgiven. We shall be reconciled to God. And the relationship that was broken through believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ is restored. And we have the gift of eternal life. Now this is incredible, we acknowledge, but this is indeed the good news of the gospel, that Christ came to this world to do something that we ourselves could never possibly do. He fulfilled God's law, kept it perfectly. You know, God has given us the commandments, the Ten Commandments. We have them written in our hearts, and we also have them in the Bible written out for us so that we might truly know them and grasp them and understand them and that we might see that we cannot possibly keep God's commandments because of the sin that is within us. And therefore we truly have a plight. But the Lord Jesus Christ has done something. He has done something tangible. He has done something glorious and wonderful. He has fulfilled that law. And the gospel would tell us, the Bible would tell us that God will accept someone else who has fulfilled the law on our behalf. Is that not wonderful? Because the Bible tells us 
Yes, we don't like to hear this, but nevertheless the Bible tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us, there are no exceptions. Christ is the only sinless man that ever lived. All of us, apart from Christ, indeed are sinners. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says, there is none righteous, no, not one. To be righteous is to be able to stand before God uncondemned. And none of us can do that by nature. But in the gospel, friends, the Lord Jesus Christ gives to us His righteousness. We have something that does not belong to us. We have something that has been given to us, and that is His righteousness. The Bible calls this imputation. And that's what Christ does when we believe upon Him. His righteousness is given unto us. And He takes upon Himself our sins, having been punished in our room and in our place. Now you may well say to me, well, this all happened some 2,000 years ago. Has this any relevance to me? This afternoon here in Partick in the west end of Glasgow, does it speak to me? How do I know that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago is of relevance to me? Well, we know that he suffered and died. We know that he was put into a tomb. We know that that tomb was sealed. But we know that that tomb could not hold the Lord Jesus. But on that third day, on the first day of the week, what happened? The Lord Jesus Christ arose. He came out of the grave. He's alive. And surely that would tell us and demonstrate to us that all that Jesus did on behalf of sinners was acceptable. That God the Father accepted His work on behalf of sinful mankind. Therefore, we can be sure that although this happened some 2,000 years ago, it is relevant today in the 21st century to every one of us. Why every one of us? Every one of us because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we all need a Savior. And friends, there is no other Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only Savior. He is the only begotten Son of God. He's the only mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave His life a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And there is no other gospel. There's no other Savior coming. No one else has ever come from heaven. And He's the only one that will take you to heaven. And therefore you must hear about Him. You must hear about what He's done. And you must hear about His, His willingness to save sinners. For the Son of Man did not come into this world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. How then can you be saved? You know, that's what the Philippian jailer said to the Apostle Paul. What must I do to be saved? Well, what you must do is to believe upon the Lord Jesus. You know, this is what makes Christianity so different and so unique. All other religions will tell you, you must do this, you must do that, you must do works, you must work your way to heaven, you must seek to win the approval of God. But Christianity alone tells us that we're to believe in someone else. You are to believe in what He has done. You are to believe that He is the Son of God. You are to believe that He is the only God-appointed Savior. And you are to trust upon Him. You are to lean upon Him. In other words, you are to have faith in Him. Not in yourself, but in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ alone. 
Well, it's a pleasure and a privilege to be here this afternoon. I'm going to take a short break and someone else is going to take over. We're here from Partick, Free Church of Scotland, continuing, and we do hope that the Lord will bless his word to you. Friends, it's good to be out with you here this afternoon and to share with you something that's very important to us. Very important to us to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to have a personal relationship with him. And it's because he means so much to us that we would love you to join with us and to share in these things and to enjoy these things for yourself. The Lord Jesus came into this world to save us. He came to give us life and peace and joy and eternal life. We look around us and we see so much suffering. We see death. On every side there's um, people, people we know and people we love who are unwell and then sadly we hear of, of their death. But why is there death in the world? Well, we're told that death is the wages for sin. It's because we're sinners that we die. There was no death in the world as God created us first. It was a perfect world. But then our first parents sinned against God and so death came into the world. But the wonderful thing is that there's a savior for sinners. The Lord Jesus Christ came into this world. He is the son of God and he became man and he came into this world to, to love us, to take our place, to die for us on the cross. And we're told, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. We are to put our trust in him. And if we trust in him, we will never perish. Christ came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost. And all of us by nature are lost. But when we put our trust in Jesus, we find salvation. And so we want to share with you today the good news of the gospel. There's a God in heaven, yes, a God against whom we have sinned, but a God with whom we can have a personal relationship. If we come to him, if we trust in him, if we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we can have a personal relationship with God. And we can have God as our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and our friend. And we can have the Holy Spirit as our comforter and supporter. God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the three persons of the Trinity are there involved in our salvation. So if we put our trust in Christ, we will be saved great message of the gospel then for men and women in the world today is come to Jesus come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest if we come to him we will find rest for our souls we'll find peace and we find joy in Christ Christ gives to us power over sin too Many people know what it is to struggle against addiction, to struggle against uh, the addiction to drink or the addiction to drugs. But when we put our trust in Jesus, he promises to give us strength to overcome every addiction, whatever it is. So we have to realize our need of God. God created us, he made us, and we're dependent upon him. He gives us every day our daily bread. We're thankful for that. We're thankful for our food, our clothes, our homes, our families, all these good things. But the best thing that God gives to us is his own son to be our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ to come and live in our hearts. And we're told, look unto me and be saved all ye ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Look to the Lord, put your trust in him, and he gives to us eternal life. In the scriptures, we're told about the coming of Christ. God became man. God, the God against whom we have sinned. 
is a God who is merciful, who is kind, who is gracious, who loves to forgive. And that's why he says to us, turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die? Why will you die when there's life with God? Life on being offered to us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So friends, we've come here today to commend to you the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior. How wonderful it is to have a living relationship with the living God. We've got to remember that our lives here can soon come to an end. How quickly our lives can pass away. And then when we die, that's not the end. Remember, there's life after death. And beyond death, there's two places. There's a heaven and there's a hell. And it's so important for us to have that uh, relationship with Christ so that when we die, we go to heaven to be with him. All those who put their trust in Christ, he says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of your Lord. How wonderful it is to know that loved ones who've trusted in Jesus, who've died already, that they are at peace and that they are happy with God in heaven. And we ourselves, if we follow the Lord, if we trust in him, when we die, we too will go to heaven to be with him. This life quickly passes. It's a life full of troubles and trials and strains and stresses. But then, we're told about the rest that remains for the people of God, the blessed future that is before us. And so, friends, Jesus died on the cross to save us. He came into this world and he gave his life a ransom for many. All of us are sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. But the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Whatever our guilt, whatever we've done wrong, there's pardon to be found in Christ and our sins are washed away. So friends, I would like to commend to you again today Jesus Christ to be your Savior. He's willing to save. He's able to save. He says, come unto me and be saved. Whoever you are, come to Christ. Come to him in prayer. Come to him putting your trust in him. Ask him to be your Savior. Ask him to come into your life. And it's something, if he comes into your life, it's something you'll never regret. He changes our lives and he gives us a wonderful peace and joy and satisfaction, a life that is lived to the glory of God. Thank you. Well, we're going to continue. We're from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing. And we meet at Two Thornwood Terrace, Upton Barton Road, you'll come to the police station and opposite the police station, if you go up the hill there, you'll come to Thornwood Primary School. And we're almost next door at the crossroads at Two Thornwood Terrace and we would welcome you to come along. We meet on Sunday, that's the Lord's Day, the first day of the week that marks his resurrection. We meet at 11 a.m. And then we have an early evening service at 6 p.m. And we also have a, a midweek meeting whereby we meet on Wednesday at 7.30. And please feel free to come along. It may well be that you haven't been to church for some time, or indeed you might never have been to church. Come along. I was handing out some gospel tracts there earlier, or maybe I should more accurately say, I was trying to hand out some gospel tracts. But the reality is, most people refused why would you refuse a gospel tract? I put it to you that most people refuse because they have made up their mind concerning Christianity. And I also put it to you that many people have made up their minds without fully considering 
the martyr. Very often, some will, will reject Christianity and the Bible and Christ because of what someone else has said to them. They've never examined the facts themselves. Well, we would urge you to examine the facts. And we would go back to that time when Jesus was crucified and he was put into a tomb. And his followers went on the first day of the week to the tomb. And the the stone was rolled away. And the tomb was empty. And what did they meet? They met an angel. And the angel told them these words. Come and see for yourself. Come and examine the tomb. Come and look at the evidence. And they would see that Jesus was not there. Indeed, Jesus had risen. Well, all we ask you to do, friends, is to consider the evidence. Because Christianity was not something that was done in a corner. We are not a secret society. We have nothing to hide. Our Bibles are open books. We are happy for you to examine them. And we lay before you the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are confident that if anyone will look at what we find in the Bible, if you would examine the teachings and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will know that what we say unto you is true. And it will stand up to examination. Now, why did Jesus come? Well, he came to this world to seek and to save that which was lost. And by nature, we're all lost. Why are we lost? We're lost because we're sinners. And we have lost that relationship that we should have with our Heavenly Father, our Creator. We've lost it. We've lost it because of sin. You see, God is a, a holy God. He is a God that hates sin and cannot tolerate it. The Bible describes God like this. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look upon iniquity. That's our Creator. That's the one who made us and the one who formed us. An absolutely pure and holy and upright being. And we are not. Now we might find this offensive. Well, we're not out here to offend anyone. We simply want to inform you about what the Bible says. And all that we say can be backed up and verified by the Bible. The Bible says, There is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Why do we have so much suffering in this world? Why is it we have our courts are full? Our prisons are full? Why is it we have our hospitals full? And our doctor's surgeries full? Why is it we have a police force and an army? Why is it we have judges and courts and solicitors and king's counselors. All of these things, friends, are we because we sin. Because of sin. No, no, not blah, blah, blah. No, no, this is fact. This is fact, friend. This is what is affecting the whole of society. This is why we have family problems. This is why we have divorce this is why we have criminals. This is why we have rapists. This is why we have thugs. This is why we have drunkards and drug addicts. 
It's all because of sin. This is why we have undertakers. This is why we have crematoriums. This is why we have graveyards. It's all because of sin. We would not have these things if it were not for sin. And therefore, sin is a vitally important thing that we understand and that we grasp how serious this matter is. Because sin has blighted our own personal lives, our family lives, the lives of our communities, the life of our nations and all the nations in the world. It is because of sin. Why are there wars today? Why is there bad weather today? Why is there tsunamis and hurricanes and floods and drought? Why have all these things come upon this world? Because when God created the the universe and the world, after he created all things, he said, behold, it is all very good. That was God's stamp of approval upon his creation. It was all very good. Now we acknowledge that in this world that we live in today, we see signs of the beauty and the majesty and the wonder and the power and design of God, but it has been marred. It's not what it should be. And it has been marred because of sin. But, you know, God has done something about it. What has he done? Well, the very moment that Adam and Eve sinned, he promised a Savior. You can read it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He promised a Savior, the one that would bruise the head of the serpent, who is Satan. And that's what happened. The Son of Man became the Son of God. The Lord Jesus Christ came. He was tempted by Satan in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And unlike our first parents, he did not succumb to temptation, but he stood up against the evil one. And he secured a wonderful victory on Calvary's tree. There the devil thought he had won over Christ in the fact that he was sentenced to death. And there the devil thought that was the end of the Son of God. But what happened? You know what happened? On the third day, Christ rose victorious over the grave. He conquered death. And in conquering death, he conquered, he conquered sin and he conquered the evil one. The one that is affecting the lives of every one of us in this world today. Jesus has secured that victory. And one day, friends, this world that has been severely blighted by sin will be restored. The Lord Jesus says in the last book in the Bible, again, I urge you to read this for yourselves. And don't simply take this from a preacher. Pick up your Bibles and read it yourselves. Does he not say in Revelation chapter 21, Behold, I make all things new. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. That's going to happen one day, friends. You know, people might laugh about these things and they might say it's pie in the sky. But no, we are dealing here with facts. One day, this world shall be rejuvenated. It will be refurbished. It will be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And we can have an interest in that world. How can we possibly have an interest in that world? The only way that we can have an interest in that world is to have the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. This is what we need. We need to have Christ as our Lord and Savior. This is what's required. This is our greatest need 
This is our greatest problem that's, a, that's facing us. You know, there may be many problems facing us today. And no doubt if I ask people what was our greatest problem today, I would get a variety of answers. They might well say, well, the greatest problem is the escalating war in the Ukraine. Or they might say about the current cost of living crisis. Or they might say about the steep rise of uh, energy. And they may list a, a number of other things that they would deem to be the most important things that are facing us today. The Bible addresses the most important issue that affects not just certain people, but affects everyone. And what is that? It is a, the subject of our own personal sin. And that's why Jesus came. And you know, friends, how he began his gospel ministry? He said, repent. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And these words are apt and appropriate today for us in the 21st century, in Glasgow, outside Partick Station this afternoon, we are to heed the words of the Son of God who came from heaven. We are to heed them when he says to us, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? Well, repent means we are to turn from our sins. It identifies us as sinners. Ones who are estranged and separated from God. And if we are to have an interest in the kingdom of God, we are to repent. What does that mean? We mean it means that we must turn away from our sins. There is no other way. This is what it is. It is to repent. Turn away. Stop committing our sins. What are your sins? Well, what are the sins of the nation today? Well... The sins of the nation today are no different from the sins of the nations before in former times. It's breaking God's law. What does God's law say? What does the first commandment say? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's what he says. That's the first commandment. And that would tell us we are to worship God and we are to worship Him alone. We are to have no other gods but Him. Now the reality is, friends, we have many gods. What is a god? A god is anything that takes the place of the living God. Let me ask you this afternoon, what is your mind set upon? What is your heart set upon? What are your affections set upon? Whatever your affections are set upon, that's your God. Or let me put it another way. If you think more about the things of this world than you do about the living God, then the things of this world are your gods. Now that's not very nice, sir. Not very nice thing to say. Out, out of the heart the mouth speaketh. And what you've said reveals what's in your heart. And that's why you must repent. Repent and seek the Lord whilst He may be found. Turn away from your foul language. Turn away from your blasphemy. Turn away from your swearing. Turn away from your idolatry. Turn away from your false worship. Turn away from your Sabbath breaking. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And you are to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what God's law tells us to do. And the more that we look at God's law, the more that we recognize we have never kept God's law. And we have broken it. That's what it reveals unto us. 
And therefore, as we study God's law, as we look at the commandments which tells us, Thou shalt not murder. How many of us are murderers today? Oh, I'm very sure that most of us have never actually committed physical murder. But how many people hate someone in their heart without a just cause? That is murder in the heart. And you have to read the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus expounds the the law of God to see that if we hate someone in our heart, then we're a murderer at heart. The seventh commandment says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. How many people have committed adultery today? That's a breach of God's law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. How many people maybe have never committed physical adultery? But how many people will lust after someone in their hearts? That is adultery in the heart. That is breaking the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. It's the eighth commandment. How many people steal? Well, probably not many people go into a shop and steal from a shop. But what if the shop assistant, when he or she was serving you, give you too much change back and you recognize the fault and they had made a mistake and they had given you too much back? Do you tell them about it or do you pocket the difference? And do you hope and delight in the fact that you got a real bargain? Well, if you did not own up and if you did not tell the person their mistake, that is stealing. How many people steal from the taxman? They like to defraud the taxman of his what rightfully belongs unto him. The Lord Jesus says, Render unto Caesar the things that be Caesar's, and the things that are God's unto God. We can easily break the eighth commandment, Thou shalt not steal. What does the ninth commandment say? (coughs) Thou shalt not bear false witness. In other words, you're not to lie. How many people lie and think nothing about it? We can see in our public life, in in the life of our politicians, that they think nothing of lying. They create their manifestos, and they tell us this is what they're going to do, and invariably they never do it at all. And instead they do things that are not on their testimonies. Their, their manifestos. The tenth commandment is, Thou shalt not covet. What does that mean? Well, it means to have an inordinate desire for something and not to be satisfied with what you've got. And how many people today are dissatisfied? We live in a society where we are much richer and much better off than our, than our fathers and our grandfathers. Yet we're the most dissatisfied generation that's ever lived in this world. Why is it? Because we're always wanting more and more and more, and we're never satisfied. That is to be covetous. That's a breach of the Tenth Commandment. Now even in that light look, that brief, and concise look at the Ten Commandments, we have discovered that we've broken many of them. In fact, the Bible would tell us we've broken them all. And this would reveal unto us then, we have a great need. What is our need? Our need is to be saved from our sins and to be reconciled to God. And how can this be? 
The only way that we can be reconciled to God, friends, is to have a Savior. And who is that Savior? That Savior is Jesus Christ. And this is the one that we seek to proclaim to you and testify to this afternoon. We want to bring this person to your attention that you might put your faith and hope and trust upon him whom to know is life everlasting. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. We meet at Two Thornwood Terrace. We meet tomorrow, the Lord's Day, Sunday at 11 a.m. And we would also meet at 6 p.m. in the early evening. And we have a midweek meeting on Wednesday at 7.30. And we would give you a warm welcome to come along whereby you might hear something more of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to take a short break, but may God bless his word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon again. We're glad you're able to join us live for our open-air witness outside Partick Station on the west end of Glasgow. We're from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing... And we are a a local congregation. We live and work and operate in the Partick area of Glasgow. We are a local charity. We're a long-established congregation. And we have one single goal and aim in order that we might preach the unsearchable riches of the Lord Jesus Christ and that we might be enabled by the grace of God to introduce the person and the work of Christ to you this afternoon. And we do come out because we have a a gospel warrant. The Lord Jesus Christ has given a commission to His church to come out and to preach the gospel to every creature and to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, as a small congregation, we want to fulfill our part, however small it is, in the great commission to go out into all the world and to make this message of Christianity and Christ known to the ends of the earth. But we have another reason why we come out. We come out because you don't come in. We have a spacious church building at Two Thornwood Terrace, Upton Barton Road, opposite the police station, up the hill there, you'll come to Thornwood Primary School, and there you will find our building next door on the crossroads to Thornwood Terrace. Now we have this building, but you don't come to it. And I suspect you don't go anywhere. Most people today do not go to a a Christian place of worship. Most people today have rejected Christianity. And they've rejected the Bible. They've rejected God. They're living their lives without any reference to God whatsoever. And therefore, this is another reason why we come out. That we might, for the short time that our lives will intersect, that we might be, by the grace of God, ones who plant the gospel seed in your heart, a gospel seed that will bear fruit. Because whether we like it or not, friends, the day will come when you will meet God. Yes, you can live your life today without any reference to the living God, You can get on well in this world for a period, for a time, as if God does not exist. And you can put 
His Word to the back of your minds for so long. But one day, because you're just like everyone else, you're mortal. And one day, the reality of your mortality will hit you. You will go the way of all the earth. You may well be young and carefree, and you may have a great part of your life yet before you. But time goes on. Life does not stop. Days become weeks, become months, become years, become decades, and soon, friends, soon, you'll be gathered to your fathers. I want to ask you then a very solemn question. Where will you go when that day comes? Where will you go when you pass into eternity? The atheist will try to delude himself. And I use my words carefully because that's what he does. He will try to delude himself that this is the only thing we have in this life. And when this life is over, according to the atheist, it's all over. It's curtains. It's the end. There's nothing after death for the atheist. That's what he likes to believe. And that's what he likes to delude himself. But he knows deep down in his own heart that what he tries to believe is not actually true. And he knows it. Why does he know it? Well, he knows it because God has put eternity into his heart. And no matter how much he would like to suppress that truth, it always comes to the fore. And it usually comes to the fore when individuals like myself might even begin to challenge him. Sometimes we go knocking on doors and we try to speak to people about Christ and the Bible. And very often, what do you get? You get a a response like this, Oh, I'm afraid I'm an atheist. That's what they say. Oh, I'm afraid I'm an atheist. Well, you know, friends, my answer is to them, you should be afraid. You should be afraid. Because you're going to meet God. You're going to meet the living God. And before you can meet the living God, you need to have a Savior. And that Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that Savior has demonstrated to us that there is life after death. How do we know? Well, we know because that Savior was crucified and that Savior was put in a tomb dead. And that tomb was sealed. But on the third day, Jesus Christ arose out of the grave. And therefore that tells us conclusively so that it is the end of the matter that is life after death. And you will know this one day because all of us shall rise again. Every one of us without exception. And that's why we want to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. That you might have this great hope before you. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And this is what we find. This is a quote from the book of Proverbs, from Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 25. There is a way that seems right unto a man. Many men think they'll just live their lives and that's it. That is a way that seemeth right unto man. But it's not the right way. The right way is to acknowledge God. And the right way is to get reconciled to God. 
And that's why Jesus says earlier in the New Testament, in Mark chapter 8, verse 36 and verse 37, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Here the Lord Jesus is reminding us that no matter how poor we might be, or no matter what quality of life we may have, every one of us has a soul. Every one of us has a soul that will live forever and ever and ever. It is eternal. Once it has been created by God, it is eternal. At the moment, your soul is in your body. You are body and soul. And you can lose your soul. How can you possibly lose your soul? You can lose your soul unless Christ saves it. Oh, that's true, sir. What I'm saying to you is true. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? And how many people today are trying to get all that the world can give them? And they don't think about their souls. All they're doing is satisfying their lusts, satisfying their bodily appetites. And they're not caring at all about their souls. They're making no provision for their souls. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? What if you did gain the whole world? An impossible thing, of course. But hypothetically, what if you did get everything this world can give you? One day you're going to leave it all behind. One day you're going to be separated from everything that you admire and love and cherish in this world. And it will only be your soul that shall be left. And that's why Jesus says to us in his word, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Friends, only Christ can save your soul. How can he save you? He saved you because he suffered and died. He died for the sin of this world. And those that put their faith and hope and trust upon the living Savior shall have their souls saved. He will save them. And on that great day when the resurrection shall come, Christ will cause everyone to rise again. And those in Christ shall be saved forevermore. They shall have a new body, a spiritual body, fit for a spiritual environment, and their souls shall be saved forever and forever. So where are you going then? Where are you going? I don't mean locally. I don't mean are you going to the pub or the restaurant or the coffee shop or to the supermarket, but where are you going to go when the time will come when you'll pass into eternity? The Bible tells us we'll either go to heaven or we'll go to that place the Bible describes and calls hell. Where will you go? It's only heaven or hell. There are no other places. We will go to one of two places. Those in Christ who have their sins forgiven, those who belong to the Lord Jesus, shall go to heaven to be with Him. He said to His disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in Me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there ye may be also. 
And Christ was on His way to the cross. And by what He did in the cross, He prepared a place for His people. And who are His people? His people are those who will trust upon Him, who will call upon His glorious name. That's who His people are. And that's why we come out this afternoon that you might put your faith and hope and trust upon the Son of God, that one who did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. But if you will not have Christ, where will you go at the end? What will happen to those who do not have Christ as their Lord and as their Savior? Where will they go? Friend, they'll go to that place called hell. A place that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. A terrible, terrible place. The Bible describes it as the bottomless pit. A place of torment. No one wants to go there. That's why we come out. That you might know there's another way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life for ransom for all to be testified in due time. There's only one Savior, friends. This is another reason for us to come out and to preach this Word. There's no other way to be saved. There's no other way to be reconciled to God. There's no other message coming from heaven. No other person can save you. It doesn't matter what they say or what they claim. Christ Jesus alone is unique. We know there are many religions, many, many, and even in our city here in Glasgow, there are many, many different religions. But you must know that Christianity is dogmatic on this point. There's only one Savior, and there's only one way to get to heaven. There's only one way to have your sins forgiven. And that's through the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. You may well be asking me then, well, that's all very well talking about the Savior and the one who can save sinners, but will He save me? Surely this is a very good question that you should be asking yourself Will the Savior save me? Or is it only certain people that He will save? Friend, He will save whoever will come to Him. Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. There, the Savior issues a warm-hearted, full gospel invitation. Come unto me. He'll save all who will come to him. Who is a God like unto thee? that pardoneth iniquity, that passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. That is the God of the Bible. He delights in mercy. We know that he is a God of judgment. 
but the Bible describes God's judgment as a strange work in the sense that this is not something that God delights to do. Because he delighteth in mercy. He's a God who will pardon because he delights in mercy. And therefore, you are to seek the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. And today I tell you that in some sense, he is near. He's near in the preaching of his word. You have heard his word. Maybe the first time in your life you've ever heard the word of God calling you to repentance, calling you to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. In one real sense then, God is near. And that today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Now's the time to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know the devil will tell you it's tomorrow. The devil would always tell you to put it off. To put off repentance. To put off belief. But the Bible would always tell you now. Now is the day of salvation. Now's the time to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And therefore we extend this invitation to you that you might embrace Christ as he is freely offered in the gospel. In Revelation chapter 3 verse 20, the words of the Lord Jesus to a church, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Is that not therefore an invitation to you to come and to avail yourselves of the Lord Jesus Christ? In the Old Testament he says, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Now the prophet is not talking about himself. He's pointing to the Lord Jesus to that Savior who was to come. And he's telling you and me, look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth, everyone all over the world were to look unto the Lord Jesus because he is a universal Savior. There is no other Savior but him. Look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth for I am God, and there is none else. Well, we're glad to be here this afternoon from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. We're going to call our time to an end. It's good to be here to be able to publicly witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're delighted for the good weather that we have received. And we do ask that God might bless his word to you this afternoon.